All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game. DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs. Make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 59, and we're feeling fine. We've got the pterodactyl back on the show. we got a lot of great reviews on iTunes saying, more Blaine, more Blaine. So guess what, everybody? He's back, baby. And in honor, and as if he's an honorary host, I'm going to let Blaine do the intro of all our sponsors. Let it rip, Pterodactyl. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Kevin and Bob Owens for being on my podcast tonight and supporting <laughs> what we're doing here. Uh been fun. I think I'm on again because of proximity mainly, but uh, nevertheless, we're here. We do want to thank our sponsors or their sponsors. Our fine folks at Yukonuba providing us with some great, great fuel for our dogs. Uh, feed it to all our dogs. They look great, work great, smell great, great coats. Everything's great. We love the food. Uh, reach out to Yukonuba, check them out. Uh, also, Dogtra Electronics. Uh, use them on, use their collars. All their collars are great products. Their electronics for winger devices and other launching mechanisms, great things coming from Dogtra. Check them out. And also Gunner Kennels, the safest box for your dog. Um, crash tested, um, just great products. We love our Gunner Kennels for transporting our dogs when they're not in the trailer. Uh, good stuff from them. Uh, also, who else? Help me out here. Who's, who's our other sponsors? Traeger Grills uh, for all your smoking meat needs. Uh, great product there from Traeger. And I'll I'll say something about this for Bob. I think he's going to mention it. But Bush Light, the challenge is on. You can check it out on Lone Duck's Instagram, the Bush Light Challenge. They want you to do some great things with your dogs and a beer. Check them out on Lone Duck's uh, Instagram. You'll see the rules and what they want to see out of that. Wow. I think we could just natural. turn the show off right now. There we go. That's it. What a na- what a naturally gifted and talented man he is. <laughs> so as Blaine mentioned, we did a Bush Beer Dog Challenge today on Instagram. Me and Memphis are challenging you all, the Long Back Gun Dog Chronicles listeners, a pretty fun challenge. So it's it's trick with you and your dog and a beer. So check out Instagram at Lone Duck. Uh, in our news feed, there's a video and the rules and all that good stuff. So I want to see everybody from the podcast blasting Bush and myself with great tricks with their dogs. So 
that should be a good time over the next two weeks. Keep us all busy. Now, let's get into the show. All right. So if you guys haven't listened to the last few episodes where we've had Blaine on, we've been going through the progression of T-Pattern um, and swim by. And now we're going to talk about water work after swim by and probably diving into blind retrieves as well. So, um, Blaine, I'm going to let you take it for a minute and just we a, a very quick, quick review of what swim by means and then dive into next steps. Well, we did the swim by and we were trying to get the dog to realize that their job was to get in the water and to establish a back pile, teach the dog to sit on the whistle in the water, take a cast, the back right, the back left, the leftovers, the right overs, just as we did on the land tee. And then we continued with the progression where we got to an overpile and cast them back across the pond to create the swim by. And they're swimming by us, staying in the water, looking to be in the water. We want the dog to get to the overpile, grab the bumper, immediately on their own will jump back in, swim in front of us, and not get out until we tell them it's okay. Very, very important for the further progression. Once we have them doing that, we kind of feel like they're running, you know, pretty decent little land blinds at this point. Like we said, a senior-level land blind. You know, we're going to run them on the, the master blinds and, and chop it up and, and move up to help them, but we're, we're handling pretty well on land now, and we're trying to establish that on water. So one thing that I would add to that where swim by is super, super beneficial is that coming back into water. So we want to have a dog that's confident and been trained to the level where when that dog's on land with a bumper or a bird in his mouth, we stop them and cast them into the water they're going to immediately make a good life choice and get back in the water and i feel like if you've got a dog through swim by and it's not making that decision it might be something where you've got to work a little bit harder on swim by getting that dog out onto land stopping passing it back into the water yeah, and that's exactly what leads us into the progression with our next step. We have a dog that is trying to get back in the water as quick as possible, understands that their job is to be in the water. And so that is the number one reason why I go straight into some channel blinds. And, you know, I've heard some people say, well, we just want to, you know, we're going to make it really simple, go across an open water pond where there's not a lot of mistakes to be made or decisions to make. But in my mind, the dog has been thoroughly versed in the idea that it needs to stay in the water. Why not go right into the next phase of giving them that decision to make to stay in the water with a channel blind? And so we'll run straight into a couple little channel blinds. I agree. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate just to create conversation. One of the benefits I would see and, and from doing it running quote unquote easy, big open water swims running a blind would be actually practicing casting and carrying a cast in the water. Um, I understand that that's going to be a part of running a blind anyways, but I feel like building confidence, taking cast angles, all that stuff. If you run a blind that's a little bit more wide open, if you will, swimming across a bigger pond where I can cast angle left and they can carry it, stop them, cast angle right, carry it, stop them, and work them like that. What are your thoughts? Don't have a problem with it. You know, mix them in, have balance. Um, I just like the idea coming straight out of the chute, showing the dog a shoreline, you know, showing the dog a look of land, you know, fairly easily accessible on both sides of them to see if, you know, this thought process that we've tried to instill into their mind the last couple of weeks, is it in their mind that they want to be in that water? And it's not a every single blind deal for me. It's we're going to go run a channel blind for a couple of days. We're going to teach that blind. We're going to 
you know, be right up close to the water at first with two options or three options for the dog. Go down the right side on land, go down the left side on land, or go straight in the middle into the water. And then we just increasingly back that up where it's a bigger decision to make to get in the water until we can move off the bank a pretty good ways and send the dog and they're going to get in the water. And so it's very similar to the first water blind we were running today through those trees where there's a little body of water in front of them, get in the water, swim straight to the pile. Um, it's not a hard blind, but it's, it makes them make a decision. Do I want to go in or do I want to skirt around, you know, either side of it? And I like to see the dog decide right away. I want to get in the water. Um, if they do that, then, you know, we'll spend a couple of days on a couple of different channel blinds and then move to, you know, those blinds where we're casting them and letting them roll a little bit and giving them some more room to, to make a, you know, a decision and hold that decision, like you said. All right, real quick, let's describe what a channel blind is. That would be, you know, some someone might be like, hey, that sounds great, but I'm not picturing what a channel, channel blind is. So basically, if, if you have a small piece of water that is land on both sides, so it would be like a pinky finger, if you will, with land on both sides of that pinky, and your pinky is the water. And they've got to decide, if I go left, I'm going to stay dry on land. If I go right, I'm going to stay dry on land. But I need to go straight and hit that piece of water and stay in the water in that little gap. And usually channel channels would be like five yards across, ten yards across, something where it's an easy decision for them to like, Oop, I'm going to skirt and go onto the land and run down the shore, or I'm going to skirt down this point and run down the shore, and you've got to handle them into the water. Yeah, and, and a lot of people think, well, I don't have that kind of water. And for those that are following the Mike Lardy's Total Retriever Training, I think you see it in one of his one of his books on, you know, teaching – you know, a channel blind, it's not necessarily has to be a small channel, but you have to give the dog that look where they see the land on both sides. It can be a, you know, a round cattle pond in the middle of the field that you can back away from the water. And as long as you're giving that dog the opportunity to choose land over water, you've, you know, you've made your point. So you don't have to you know, necessarily have a tech pond built with channels in it. And that's, I know that's a lot of your listeners' problems is they don't have, you know, water built just for this. And so for the, you know, for the common, you know, amateur trainer out there just, you know, scrounging up water, you can do this on all kinds of pieces of water. Um, you just have to have the dog, you know, you have to have the ability to give the dog a decision to make. You know, do I get wet or do I stay dry? Uh, what am I going to do? After they're proficient at channel blinds and we're doing some open, quote unquote, open water swims, blinds where they're able to cast and handle and carry casts longer, are you working on down the shore blinds? And if you would describe a down the shore blind. Well, pretty self-explanatory. It's down the shore. So you have a, let's say your only piece of water is a big round pond in the middle of a field well you get on the right side of the pond where there's land on your right side and water all the way across to the left and we're going to run a, a blind that's putting your dog in the water where you'll hear people say you know skinny in the water it means they're close to land um, and you challenge that line you don't you know necessarily put them 25 30 yards off the shore we want them to realize that they do have to swim down the shore um, because a lot of times at first they come out of swim by, they come out of channels and you get a dog unbalanced and afraid to swim down the shore. And that's not going to necessarily work out uh, a lot in the hunt test. And a judge that sets up a down the shore blind wants to see your dog swim down the shore. Um, and so, you know, you got to, you got to maintain that balance. You can't stay so far away from it that, you know, you're cheating the blind and not really teaching the dog. Um, but you also don't want to let them get out. And if you get out, you know, that's what we need to talk about. How do we handle that? Um, you know, it's, I'm not, 
I'm not going to go the old school route where somebody's up, up on the land and they're going to, you know, be the boogeyman and, and run the dog off the land back in the water or, you know, shoot birdshot over there towards them. We're going to, you know, stop them and, and, and handle them. Um, for me, for a really young dog, I'm going to let, let them get right on the edge where they're about to make that final step out. I'm going to stop them. I'm not going to give any correction with the collar. I might give a no, and I'm going to handle them back in the water. You know, I may give the same verbal cue that I give during swim-by. And I like to holler at my dogs, and Bob makes fun of me. I'll say, get in the water, and they'll get back in the water. And, you know, just something, but I'm going to handle them back in the water without any collar correction. Uh, now an older dog, I'm going to handle a little bit different. I'm going to, you know, let them make a decision. And if they make the wrong decision, you know, there is going to be a penalty for making the wrong decision. And I'm going to do indirect pressure pretty much like I do for everything. I'm going to, you know, give them a sit, nick, sit, and I'm going to cast them off. And, you know, something we heard, you know, from Lyle Simon on a previous podcast that, you know, is, is a, you know, a great tool and, and beneficial in this kind of thing is, you know, that no hands back. You know, don't show them exactly what you want them to do when they're older, but give them that verbal cue that you want them to change the direction they're going and see if the dog gets back in the water. If he gets back in the water, great. Reward him and let him roll. If he doesn't, stop him again. This time, another, you know, sit next sit. Maybe we're going to increase it a little bit, but we're still not going to tell you where to go. You ought to know at this point, get your little butt back in the water. So I think that that's that's right. Hold on, do you need that around? Turn it around. My bad. We're sharing a phone because our audio is a little struggling tonight. But but anyways, um, I think he brings up a good good point with that no hands back that Lyle uh, taught us, and and I've been doing a lot more of. And what I've found is it shows me where dog A knows the mistake they made. And so when I give the sit, Nick sit, and, you know, no hands, just keep my hands down, stay back, and they turn the direction of the water and get back in the water and continue swimming, that tells me that dog knew the mistake it made and it knew how to correct it and it tried hard. If the dog doesn't make the good life choice of getting back in the water, I've got a decision to make. Does the dog not understand that the water is a better place to be? Is it just not really fully there yet? How do I handle that? And then B, is the dog screwing me over? Is he just not giving me effort? In one episode with old Clark Kennington, he said the time he gives the most correction is when a dog gives you no effort. He'll reward a dog who's trying hard and help them, but a dog who's not trying hard, he's going to be less patient with, if you will. Um, so in that moment, I've got to decide, is this dog a master dog that knows better or is it week three of running water blinds? I'm going to help the young dog. I'm going to be a little tougher on the master dog. What are your thoughts on that, Blaine? No, I think it's a great point. Effort is everything. You know, a dog, a dog that'll give us some effort is always more fun to train I've got a little boy now that Bob's seen run named Gunner. He's a, he's a little spaz, but the little joker is trying and he hits the water hard and he's trying his hardest to, to do, you know, what I think is the right thing. Um, does he always do it? Not yet. He's young and he's learning. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not punishing him for his mistakes yet. I'm showing him, all right, buddy, no, sit down, tread some water a little bit, get out back here in the water and let me get you where you need to be. And, you know, there's little force, so to speak, on him at this point. But then if I'm going to run Buck and Buck decides to get out and not get right back in the water when I stop him, then there's a problem because there's a reason I stopped you. There's a reason we blow that whistle. And that is a correction in itself. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't give a collar correction. He didn't know you were. No, I gave a correction when I blew that whistle. I'm telling that dog, you are not going the right direction. There's no other reason to blow the whistle other than you're not going the right way. And so if you get out and I blow a whistle instantly, that should tell the more mature dog, okay, I need to be back in the water. We're not getting out yet. And so, you know, 
in a lot of instances, I'm going to try to run the blind, run the cheating single where the mark or the blind is going to be the furthest down the shore where I'm not, you know, asking a young dog to get out early to get a mark or to get a blind. We're going to try to run to the end of the pond, you know, if, if that's the setup that we have uh, at that point. We always want them to seek more water, keep swimming, go to the end of the pond, find your reward, get back in the water, come back. All right, I got several questions or comments or thoughts that I want to dive further into on that. Um, one is running blinds in general. So when we're teaching a young dog, because this, this, this episode is, we may equate things to an older dog versus a younger dog or a, a more skilled dog versus a newer blind running dog. But this episode is, is for that newer blind running dog and blind just hit a point where that whistle whether you're giving collar correction or verbal correction that whistle is a correction and so when we're trying to teach blinds we want to build confidence so i think you might know where i'm going with this a lot of people will blow so many whistles if that dog doesn't do things perfectly at the perfect angle every single time tweet, 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 tweet. And I fall into this sometimes and I got to slow myself down and let them carry cast, whether it's perfect or not. But there is a happy medium and balance of allowing momentum to be built and confidence to be built versus tweet, 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 tweet. Now the dog's like, Shh, I don't know where you want me to go, dude. Uh, you keep blowing this whistle. I apparently don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to sit right here and quit. So Blaine talked about building momentum and building confidence, balancing that with, you know, not letting them run all over the place. Yeah. Great, great thought. I think the main thing people have to realize, and we do too at times is that we're not at a field trial or a hunt test Monday through Friday when we're working, when you're training, if you're training on the weekends, if you're training through the week, don't try to win the training day by having the prettiest blind and keeping your dog online all the time. The line to the blind is irrelevant when you're training. So if we're running a down the shore blind and the dog gave pretty good effort halfway through the blind and then beached a little early, I blew the whistle. I gave the no hands back. It dove back into the water and it tried to stay fat now. I'm not going to stop that dog and tell him, no, go back the other direction because the, other, the cast I'm going to have to give next is going right back towards that shore. I'm going to reward the dog for making the decision to get in the water and let him roll for a little while. You know, the same thing on land. I, I, I tell this to, you know, the people working with me that, that are training dogs. Let that dog roll. Let that dog carry that cast. Yeah, you're going to be offline a long ways. But just work it out at the end. If we have to help at the end, if someone needs to run out there, you know, if there's a, a you know, a, a safety blind out there somewhere, let them get it. But don't nickel and dime them, you know, on their way to a blind in training, especially when they're young. We want them just to, you know, to feel confident, to take the cast. He's not mad at me. He's letting me go. I'm going the right direction. If they turn and go the right direction, let them take it. Let them realize that that was the good, you know, the good decision to make. So that would be another another addition would be, let's say you're fighting a dog and you're trying to get him to go angle right and he keeps digging to the left. We call that scalloping. If he's scalloping to the left and I finally get him to go right where I want him to go and now I, you know, and you immediately stop him, you're creating some sort of confusion where wait a minute, that was wrong. Now I finally take it. I'm going to allow a dog and, and let him carry it way offline. If he's scalping left, 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 and then finally I get a correction enough or whatever, I get my point across and he goes right and he carries it, I'm going to let that sucker roll. And it's like a little pat on his back saying, finally, you got it, now go. And then I can stop him and cast him back and work him towards the blind and be successful again. But I'm not going to hold him to that line perfect. And I think that's the point he's trying to, he, he is making. Um, 
So there's a fine line between holding a dog accountable and working the blind properly and teaching concepts, but also maintaining confidence and allowing a dog to carry a cast. And that means like, let him go, let him roll with that angle left tweet, let him roll with that angle right tweet, let him dig back and, and just move towards the blind or move through the field with you. Um, one thing I like to do is follow the dog out into the field. So you can, I was just going to say that's a little bit harder in the water and you can't really do that. That's why we build more confidence on land before we do the water work to Blaine's point. Um, but on land, if I'm struggling, I'll move out closer to that dog because distance erodes control. So the further I let that dog get away from me, the less control I'll have over the dog. So I'll send the dog out on a blind and I'll follow them out as they go. Tweet, holy cow, I'm only 20 yards away. Send them again, cast them. Tweet, holy cow, he's still 30 yards away. Tweet, you know, and, and you can maintain control and cast them around the field and do all right. Um, in water, it's a little harder. So it's, it's nice to have a dog that's more confident on land first before you just jump right into water blinds. Now, one question we get a lot, Blaine, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on, because a couple of the young ones that are running blinds for me, I'm seeing this. They want to hunt their own way to the blind. Okay. So instead of just running and going where I tell them, their nose is on the ground, they're breaking down, they're not just driving where I'm telling them to go. Um, I have some thoughts that I need to work on this week, but I want to hear what your thoughts are on a dog that hunts short or will go straight for 25 yards, but then starts hunting and blows off whistles or not casting great or you know, we'll cast a little bit and then start hunting again. Obviously it's a dog to dog issue, but to me, first thing I think of is, do I just need to simplify this? Do I need to create a, you know, a target for them? That's a better target that they see clear. Um, they need to know if they're at that point, they're so unsure of themselves that they're going to go into hunt mode. Then they don't understand that the target goal is way out there. And so we're going to move, you know, move forward. We're going to, you know, illuminate the goal better by using a white bucket, by using a white post, uh, by using a, a bird boy to go out there and hey, 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 and drop a bumper in the pile. But we're going to, you know, show them the picture better. All right. I I'm with you. What if, how do you determine the difference between a dog who doesn't see the picture and doesn't see the end goal of the blind pole and white bucket on top or whatever versus a dog who's maybe, I don't need your help. I got this. Great question. That that goes back to the dog that's not giving you effort. That goes back to a dog that thinks I know where I'm going. But if the dog, in my, in my opinion, if, if I send a dog on a blind in the field and 20 yards into it, they're going into cruise control already and hunting already, then something's missing between force the pile and this moment. Um, you know, maybe our pattern blinds weren't well enough thought through and, and we didn't run enough. Maybe we didn't run those lining drills long enough. Maybe we didn't build the same momentum we're trying to build on water on land where the dog looks out knows when he says back I keep running until he stops me we all have those dogs that don't do that and I think it's always going to go back to all right we you know we moved a little bit forward you know too quickly and so let's make it clear you're running 300 yards buddy just keep going you know make those those pattern blinds longer make those initial blinds we run longer so that you know, they're not in the habit of, of getting, you know, quickly rewarded, you know, by taking off and, and, and there it is. You know, that I think, you know, that's the same with marks. You know, I see people that come over and, and want to train for the day and the dog won't run past 40 or 50 yards for a mark. And the first question I ask him 
is you have people throw birds for you out in the field or throw your marks in the field. Well, no, I usually just, you know, have them sit beside me and I toss the bumper as far as I can. I said, well, that's as far as you can throw your bumper right there where they start hunting. And so it's just stretching them out more and, and building confidence that, you know, it's okay to get out there. You, you're going to find it. So that is the exact thought I had today when I was working the young ones on the blinds. We had a white bucket and a white pole. We had, it was pretty black and white. I even simplified because there were some decoys out in the field. I got in front of the decoys so that couldn't screw them up. Yeah, there was a walk-up bird with a, a hay bale. I mean, there were some factors to screw them up. So I, I eliminated those factors and tried to make it as black and white as possible. And the I ended up being successful, but after some headache. And the thought I had as I'm walking the dogs back to the truck is, I like doing lining paths. I like doing pattern blinds. And I haven't done enough with these guys. They aren't looking out and seeing that pole or bucket. They're looking out and they're locking in. And then they're just not sure of themselves to keep driving. And so that that's the balancing act of confidence as well as I still got to teach you how to handle. You can't just line everything. So they have to learn how to handle. They're through T-pads pretty much. They're doing pretty good. But so they got a handle and they got to sit good, but I need them confidently looking out, finding that target, the blind, the bucket, whatever, and driving and, and carrying momentum and digging. And, uh, so that like the rest of this week, I am going to set that stuff up. What are your thoughts, Blaine? Cause there's, there's two schools of thought. There are some people that don't like lining paths and there are people who do. What do you what do you do, bud? I want them to run. Um, I'm, I mentioned to Bree today. She had a dog that she was running that was not digging back, and my exact words were her to her were, "Come back to this field tomorrow. It's a big, flat, wide open field that's been freshly cut. Set three or four blinds out with white buckets and poles." couple hundred yards away spread out pretty wide and run these lines get that dog digging we'll we'll work on the the stopping and changing direction better after the dog's digging it goes back to part of the reason i like the channel blind so much after swim by i just want them to dig and, and just go back you know if they line it every time for a little while who cares you know is there a set amount of time that you know, the dog's lining every pattern blind we run, is lining every, you know, the lining path. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing because we're not in a race. Let the dog build that momentum and then let's, you know, let's begin to work on changing direction a little bit after we've got all that momentum. So I think it's just a, you know, a priority. Do I want the dog to, to run long ways and be successful or do I want to, you know, stop them, you know, really quick? I, I know a, you know, he was a really successful hunt test trainer uh, for years. And, you know, he didn't want to do it that way. He wanted to run 100-yard blinds, stopping them, changing direction, you know, crisscrossing across the line of the blind and getting to the bird. Um, that was his way of doing things. I like, I'd like. i rather him just roll out and go for a long way for, a, you know, a, a good period of time to build that momentum, you know, on both the land blinds and the water blinds. And so, you know, there, there's, like you said, there's two schools of thought. I, you know, I just assume the dog have the confidence to look out and go and keep running, um, rather than stopping and, you know, too soon, too often. And I think we get into a, a grind where people are looking for their dog to be able to go run a, a senior test or a master test too early. And so we work too much on, you know, that type of, of, of work and worry too much about training for a test rather than training the dog to, have momentum and to go and feel confident about himself. And so, you know, we, we all fall into that trap at times on trying to rush things so that, you know, we have a dog that stops and takes every cast right away. When I'd rather have a dog that, that lines the lines, that takes good lines, that doesn't fade to the factors that goes uh, and, and goes the right direction. And so I would 
go more on the camp of let's run more pattern blinds. I agree. And, and this week I'm going to do a lot more of them and, and I will report back on the progress. I know that I will see progress within a week of creating pattern blinds, creating lining paths and running them. I, I just, I know it. I mean, I've seen it enough. Um, all right. We're through T pattern. We're through swim by. We've taught channel blinds. We're running decent lamb blinds. I've got a couple ideas in my head of handling drills. One of them is like our massive T pattern or like where we've got big white buckets out into the field and we're sending to one, stopping them and casting to another. And it's like a big angle back and they got to drive past it. Um, I guess I'll talk about that one real quick and how I set it up. Uh, and then I want you to maybe think about a good handling drill for, for the next portion. So one drill I like to do to help teach angled backs is I'll have, you all understand the T pattern. I'll have my back pile and then I'll have beyond that pile, I'll have a, a pile to the left and a pile to the right. And I'll sit in the center of it. I'll send the dog straight back. Like you, you're at a uh, pitcher's mound and you send a dog to second base, right? Now I'm going to send a dog from the pitcher's mound past second base angled to the left at like a 45. They got to run past it. And there's, you know, 25 or 30 yards past that is another pile with a white pole. And then they come back from that and I send them to the right and angle past second base and they drive back out. Um, and once I get them to like establish those piles and feel comfortable running past second base, I'm going to go back to home plate, send them to second base, stop them on pitcher's mound, cast them angle right, come back, stop them, you know, and intermittent, I'm not going to stop every time, right? We're building momentum. We're, we want them driving to second base, but I'm going to teach these angles that way. That's a, it's a fun drill. I don't do it every day. I don't do it for a month, but it's a, it's a fun, quick drill to help dogs confidently take angles as well as not go for the easy bird, which is second base. So you're casting them off second base in that pile and having them run past it. So that suction of second base you're, you're running past it. So it's a cool little drill I like to do. What about you, bud? Well, I do something like we did last week. We, it only requires two blinds. We ran a short blind to our right on that little hill. It was, what, 50 yards, maybe, with big white bumpers. They could see them. We ran it, and then maybe 20, 30 degrees to the left was a long blind. And so you run the short one, turn them that small amount to the left, and inevitably a younger dog is going to maybe take your line at first and then realize, oh, there's a pile over there. I found success there. I'm going to veer to the right and go back to that pile. Well, what's the very next cast you're going to get? You're going to get that angle back cast is what you have to give. So. I'm going to let them make that decision because I want, I don't want to stop them too soon. I want them to realize that the decision was wrong to go back to that pile. So I'm going to let them commit to that going back to the same short pile, stop them, give the angle left back cast and, you know, hopefully get it. If not, you know, sit, do it again, you know, give them another chance without a correction if I don't get it again, I may give them a sit, Nick, sit, give the cast again. If I don't get it again, then I'm going to move. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, you know, move up, simplify it. I'm going to tweet them in a little bit to get them off that line. I might give them the leftover, but I want to get that, that cast. I want to get the left angle back cast where they feel comfortable driving away from that pile. So, you know, it's fundamentally the same thing, but, you know, in a, in a different version where they're actually running two blinds um, and they're they're right tight close to each other. Um, we do that a lot. You know, your, your simple wagon wheel drill is, you know, it, that's what it's all about. 
you, there's two types of wagon wheels. There's a lining wagon wheel and there's a casting wagon wheel. And so you have your circle of white bumpers, you know, at, you know, one, two, three, four, five, all the way across, you know, all the way around the clock. And then in between the white bumpers, you have your orange bumpers, you know, further out. And so you're teaching the dog to cast off of that white bumper and go in between the two white bumpers to the orange bumper. And so that's a simple drill you can do in a small space, you know, do it on low cut grass where they can, you know, see the pictures well and they're not, you know, putting their nose into the tall weeds and hunting around and, and trying to figure out where they're going. But, you know, wagon wheel is, you know, one of the older drills in the book. You know, there's still credence to some of these old drills that, you know, that people did 30 years ago, 40 years ago with the retrievers. All right. I, I want to give wagon wheel a, a second describe it a little better so you kind of quickly said like uh, a bumper at one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock all the way around the, the clock describe pushing and pulling and a dog working with you and all that all right i i do it a lot right after tea work number one for lining purposes so i put eight bumpers out they're not going to be one at every number of the of the face of the clock i'm going to put one at 12 at three, at six, and at nine. So there's four. And then I'm going to put one in between all of those. That's going to give you eight. Eight bumper wagon wheel, right? I think it's a one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. That's eight. There's eight bumpers out. I'm going to be in the center of the circle. The circle is not very large. The diameter of the circle, that is the distance from one side across to the other side, is only going to be about you know, 20, 25 yards. I'm going to stand in the center of the circle with my dog and I'm going to have it healing to my left or right side, whichever side you're healing your dog. And I'm going to point it at the direction of the big white fluffy bumper 20 yards away or 10 yards away since we're in the middle of the, the circle. And I'm going to say back and I'm going to let them get that bumper, bring it back to me. I'm going to be pointed at the next bumper when the dog is on the way back. And so, or I'm going to receive, let's, let's back up. I'm going to receive them at that same spot. I'm going to toss that bumper back to the 12 o'clock spot. And then I'm going to pull my dog, you know, to the right, pulling to the right, pushing to the left. I'm going to pull the dog to the right to that very next bumper. I'm going to pick it up, let him return it, throw it back out there, pull him to the next bumper. I go all the way around the circle, get to the last one, and then I do pulling all the way back. Some people push one, then they pull a couple, push another three. I, I go pulls all the way around, and then I push back around the other direction. And then, you know, for me, if I want them to turn to the right, to pull with me, I say, here, sit, good, back. If I want them to turn to the left or pull with me, I say, heel, and I turn them to the left with a heel. And so, or, yeah, push with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heel, heel to the left, here to the right, and that's how I'm going to line my dog up. And I'm not going to slap my leg a lot. I'm not going to make big movements because we're doing pretty small incremental movements and I want the dog to, you know, to move precisely with me. They can see the bumper. If they go the wrong direction, what's my correction? I just call them back. I try not to, I don't use a collar. The only time I'm going to give a collar correction is for a no go is for just a blatant. I'm not trying. I'm doing, I'm acting like an idiot, but if they just, you know, are confused and are going to go back to the last bumper picked up, or maybe, you know, two bumpers down the road that I don't want them to pick up. I'm just going to know here, call them back, reline them up. I might take two steps forward so that it's obvious this is the one I want you to pick up. And so that that's the lining aspect of, of wagon wheel. There's also the casting aspect where you sit the dog in the middle and you're at, for Bob's sake, the way he likes to put it, you're at home plate and you're casting them you know, to the different bumpers. Um, I start that with just, you know, 
three bumpers, one at, just like you're doing sea work. And I'm going to make sure we establish that first. We'll add the one in between the 12 o'clock and the 3 o'clock and the 9 o'clock and the 12 o'clock so that we have that angle back cast. And then, you know, you need to do the angle in, the tweet in, you know, those two casts. And so we'll add those as well. And then, you you know, you, when you get further along the line and more advanced, you add the, you know, the bump, the orange bumper further out in between the white bumpers. And so there's a, a lot of different options with the bag and wheel. Wow. Excellent. Truthfully, that excellent, baby. No, that was a really good description. So these are all little tools. When, when people message me on Instagram about teaching their dog to run blinds, these are all little drills that throughout the week and the month you can hone. Is it something you do every single day? Well, probably wagon wheel for like a week or so to, to hammer that down. Um, but they're nice drills to revisit. I'm gonna, I've got two master dogs that I'm going to revisit wagon wheel because I'm having a little bit of a hard time pulling and pushing off of um, poison birds. They're just not moving with me good. They're locked in. And I need to get, maybe I need to take three or four wagon wheel sessions and just get them to pull and push with me good again. Um, so it's a nice thing to revert back to a nice tool in the tool belt to work on. Um, let's go back to water for a second. De-cheating. And, and then we'll probably, this is, this is a big one. And I think has, there's a lot of people with a lot of questions on cheating the bank. For a good old hunting dog, people don't really care. I don't really blame them. I think there's a place for it, even with the hunting dog. And I'll get Blaine's perspective on that, too. But talk to us about de-cheating. All right. A lot of the gun dog people think, well, I don't care if my dog gets out early or if he skips a piece of water. My thought is always, well, if your dog saw a bird go down from your dog's stand and it was behind you know, some bushes and it was in the thick, then I would rather my dog go straight, push through it and find the bird and not be disoriented. Whereas if they jump off the dog stand and then they go around the water or go around the obstacle, they're then disoriented, can't see it very well, don't know where they're going, and then have a long hunt for the bird. I want them to get the bird and get back. And some people think, well, my dog gets the bird and gets back quicker on land. Well, a lot of times they get on land and they can't find the bird. And so the straight lines are critical. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons we go through the de-cheating process, not just for the hunt test and field trial aspect of things, but for the real, you know, the real life aspect of it, of going straight. Go where I tell you to go and you'll find the bird. And so we harp on that a lot with our dogs, uh, whether they be gun dogs or hunt test dogs. And, you know, you're going to run master tests on water where the judges are going to tell you these are water marks. Your dogs need to be in the water. They need to get wet on every one of these marks. Or your dog needs to get wet on that mark right there. And so if the dog needs to get wet, then your dog better understand to get wet. And so we built the foundation through swim by through channel blinds of how to handle on water on a blind. But it's not just for the blinds. It's so that we can teach them that even on the marks, it's, it's paramount that you get in the water. And so when the dog, you know, you're throwing that little corner cheaty mark to the right side of the pond, and it's real easy for that dog to run around the bank and go over there and pick that bird up and then run all the way back around dry, we've got to be able to have the capacity to stop that dog and handle it into the water to show it the right way to get to the bird and rethrow it and teach that mark. And, you know, some people don't want to handle the dogs on marks, but at this point of the game, we're trying to show and teach the approved route. And the right route is to get in the water is to, you know, swim across that corner, not to go around it, is to swim down the shore, um, not to get out early. And so there's a lot of different marks, and we could talk for hours on de-cheating a dog on the marks. 
but it all boils down to will that dog stop and cast back into the water? You know, does that dog seek water? Is the dog a land seeker or a water seeker? And I deal with so many Boykins who tend to sometimes want to run as fast as they can around a piece of water that we've gotten, you know, I think pretty good at teaching a dog to get in the water. Because uh, we, if we can teach those little boogers to get in the water, then, you know, the common labs that, that Bob gets to train should be easy. There's no excuse for Bob not getting master hunters on all these labs he's training. God, he's a real son of a... All right. So in the process of de-cheating, you kind of touched on casting into the water. And again, we're through swim by, so that dog should understand tweak, cast in the water, get your butt back in the water. How are you setting up your marks? I need to do it with a bird boy. I'm going to agree. I'm going to look to you to agree. Are you going to nod? He nodded. So you, you need help. You can't really do it by yourself. You can. It's probably a lot harder. Um, I had done it on my old dog, and that sucker will still cheat. So you need help. So get your hunting buddy, get your girlfriend, get your wife, get your boyfriend, get your husband. Go out, throw some birds. What are you looking at a pond, Blaine? When you're looking at a pond, how are you setting up a mark to t- start teaching cheating singles, and, and de-cheating a dog? Well, I've built water for it. It's easy. No. It's just like the blinds. You can find a way on every body of water to have a cheaty mark. You just have to give the, do- the dog, the dog, the dog an opportunity um, to make a decision to get in and to stay in. So whether it be I have to back off the water's edge far enough where the dog has to make a decision on entry or I'm right up at the water's edge and I've got a good little cove here, a good corner where I can throw a bird. It's so hard to describe just, just talking about it, um, which we can do pictures on a podcast. Um, but you've got to find a way to cut a corner of the pond. And so if you got, if you have a square pond, a rectangle pond, um, and you're in the middle of the rectangle on the bottom side of the pond, looking at a, a, a rectangle on a piece of paper, you're at the very bottom center and you have somebody on the bottom right corner of the pond and they throw the bird or the bumper across the water dry on the right side of the rectangle towards the bottom of the pond, though. And, you know, making the dog have to decide I'm getting in the water as soon as possible, which we did through water force and swim by, and then staying in the water. You know, with, with a lot of my dogs, I like to have the bird boy out there with another bird or to simply take a step towards the bird to keep them swimming to throw another bird at first to show them and so i see the dogs you know giving in to the temptation they're they're running to the gunner which is going to inevitably put them out early that they're throwing another bumper or bird you know in the exact same spot to try to get the dog to you know maintain its course in the water um you know i'll handle them pretty quick at this point and say, no, get in the water, and now I'm going to make them swim, you know, way past the gunner, probably past the bird before I let them get out. And then I'm going to re-throw that mark, and I'm going to see, did you get the point that I'm trying to make? And then I'm going to move over to the other side, and I'm going to throw it to that corner, you know, from the other direction. And, you know, let's let's test what we just did there on this other corner. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways. If you just have that round cattle pond, you know, you do the same thing you did on that channel blind. You know, you have your gunner stand out to the, let's say that's a, an oval-shaped cow pond in the middle of a pasture, and you're 20, 30 yards from the water's edge, dead center of that pond, and your bird boy is at the end of the pond, but to the right side on dry ground. They throw a bird, 
And, you know, the first throw, I'm going to make it splash in that corner so they can see the splash. They can see a white bumper laying there and they get in. And if they get out now, we know it's because of they're just deciding I want to run down the bank because they can see the bird there. They can see the white bumper. They saw the splash. They know where it is. And so at that point, I'm going to stop them. I'm going to handle them. I'm going to keep them in the water. And so, you know, you can increase, you know, the difficulty in it by making the water skinnier, like we said earlier. And at first, as far as pressure goes, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on a dog's butt for trying to get out early. The first, you know, the set of first set of cheating singles we throw, I'm going to stop them. All right. There's the pressure. Same as we did on land. There's the pressure. I blew the whistle. No, you're getting out too early. Get your butt in the water. Get out there far. And, and at this point, I'm going to want them to be fat. I want them to seek more water. I'm going to revert to that swim by now. And I'm going to say, no, get way out there. I'll tell you when to get back in. And I'm going to ask you to swim to the end of the pond. And that goes back to throwing the mark where it's at the end of the pond at times so that the dog gets in that routine. You know, I'll mention Jason Baker's name with, with young dogs and, and derby dogs. He throws his birds where they're at the end of the pond, where the dog, the only way they're going to get that bird is to swim to the end of the pond. And so they get in that habit of swimming. You know, we want them to swim. Um, we don't want them to, to want to get out early for the reward at first. And so you, you, you got to maintain the balance again. Not a lot of pressure at first. We're going to handle, show you the right route, keep you in the water. And as the dog progresses, for me, it's still going to be indirect pressure. I can do a sit, nick, sit in the water just like I can do on land. And so it's a, a tweet, nick, tweet, cast. Or it's a, you know, a, a verbal a verbal cast with no with no hands to see okay is this dog really understanding that i want you to be in more water and so it's 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 a tough subject to talk about without showing um but it's you know putting your dog when you see that piece of water to get back to the original question you know how am i going to throw a bird in order to make this dog swim the furthest to get in the water right away and to stay in the water and get the bird you know, that's the way I need to set this up. I don't want to always find the simplest, you know, here's where we're going to find success. We're just going to splash a bird out in the middle of the water. Um, you know, we may start that way. You know, I, I'm picturing in my mind a, a diagram I want to show, but I can't, I can't talk about it as clearly as I'd like to. But you start out, you know, where you are kind of in the middle, but you're on the other end of the pond where they have to swim the whole way. And then you start moving that bird, you know, closer to that corner where it's, you know, sexier to get out. You know, it's easier to get out to get to that bird. And so, you know, just find a way to teach the dog to stay in the water, to swim more. So while I'm teaching this, if I find that the dog is making mistakes over and over again, instead of putting more pressure, collar, verbal, whistle, whatever, I'll then, in essence, not reward is the wrong word, but I'll throw a bumper, like chunkier, I'll give it more water to make the point more black and white. The more water you take, the less pressure you get. So let's say for Blaine's example that he was giving where he starts in the center of the pond where the dog just has to swim down the center of the pond and get it and then works his way towards the shoreline where it's sexier to get out or to cheat the bank. If I'm maybe progressing further and I throw one that's cheating that bank and they try and run that bank and I correct them and try it again and I correct them and I try it again and I correct them. I'm like, all right, I got to show this dog that get your butt in the water. I'm going to throw one chunkier. So the, it's black and white, get in the water and stay in the water. And then I'm going to back up or, or, I'll, or I'll go back to getting a little more difficult again. But I'm trying to get that dog to make a decision where it's like, okay, that sucked, that sucked, 
that was good, right? Like, okay, that sucked, that sucked. Now, now Bob makes a decision to throw it further into the water, further on land to make it an easier decision to get in the water. And they do, and they're successful, and I praise the heck out of them. Now when I go back to making it sexier to cheat, they're maybe able to see that picture like, okay, that wasn't good when I cheated. That was good when I did better. And, and it, to me, it helps paint a picture to the dog to get in the water, stay in the water as you progress. So that, that I don't know. I, I'm trying to visualize how we're describing this so that people can, because they're just listening, they're visualizing, right? So I think you, Blaine's got something. I think visual visualize it like this if you you may not have ever run a master test yet but you've been there you've watched them most of the time you know your your key bird to pick up your key memory bird to pick up is going to be the furthest swim they're going to throw a long bird they're going to throw a bird over here short say like a two down the shore and to speak about a two down the shore, and Bob's like shaking his head, oh, my God, you brought that up. And so let's say a bird was thrown right to left in the back right-hand corner of the pond, and now another bird's thrown right to left halfway down, you know, the pond, and now a bird's thrown out to the left side of the pond somewhere, just out of the picture. You go pick up that go bird. You come back and you pick up that short bird down the shore, and now your dog comes back. And he's not real sure where the next bird is. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he didn't see it good. Whatever the case may be, if I have a dog that seeks water on that long two down the shore, he's going to find the bird because he's going to swim to the end of the pond. And if you've got a good judge that understands dog training, that understands we're going to reward a dog for good training, and for doing the right thing, then this bird is going to be presented in a place where if a dog swims all the way, he's going to find the bird. And so you're putting pictures in the dog's mind where, you know, I need to swim to the end of this pond to get this bird. And it's a lot to visualize over a podcast with no video uh, of what's going on. Um, But there's a ton of tools out there to see it and, you know, get your lardy, you know, manuals with the drills in it. Get your Evan Graham transition, you know, manual with the drills in it. You know, these guys have put things on paper for you to see what the pictures look like. Find someone to train with locally who has a, you know, a track record of passing dogs. You know, just because they're a pro doesn't mean they pass dogs. Find someone that passes dogs, not just junior and started dogs, but passes dogs at a master level that understands, you know, what it takes to teach a dog to do these things. That's, you know, always your best bet is to find a good mentor to spend time with, watch their dogs run, pay attention, don't show up at a pro's place one day and sit in your chair and hang out and talk to your buddy all day or talk to somebody else that's there watching. But watch. Ask questions. I don't mind when someone stands right behind me and says, why did you blow that whistle? Did you give a correction? Why did you handle right there? You know, pay attention when you're with somebody and and find out what it, what do I need to do to, to make my dog more successful in these things. There's a, it's a lot to talk about over the phone and to explain these things. But find people around your area. There's there's trainers everywhere now. Find a good one though, and and train with them and see what they do in these kind of circumstances. All right, Blaine and I are going to make a promise that we're going to do a video for Instagram and Facebook where we work on intermediate dogs, senior you know dogs that are learning cheating singles de-cheating, cheating singles, how we handle it, and we're going we're gonna to video the crap out of it and just try and explain what we're doing here. So, as always, another fantastic pterodactyl episode. That's his fifth one, everybody. Give him a round of applause. 
There's five. Five. Great episodes with the pterodactyl. We got a lot covered in that. There was a lot of information. You're going to need to re-listen to that and evaluate where you're at with your dog and cool drills you can work on. It's springtime. It's COVID. You can get outside with your dog. You're off work. Make the most of it. Train that dog. As always, thank you for tuning in. Please hit subscribe. Please hit five stars. If you got less than that, then go pound some salt. Everybody, thank you. Blaine, the pterodactyl Tarnecki from Hudson River Retrievers. He said thank you for being on his podcast. Yeah, this is now his show. We're happy to have him. Kevin's still here somewhere. Kevin, we're going to start calling you K-Rod. I don't know if I like it, but Blaine does. We gotta- That's all right. I've been called worse than That's all right. Well, maybe K-Rod will stick. I don't know. But thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, get you a bush light and join our Bush's Beer Dog Challenge. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs, and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description. And join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey, listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.